Jerusalem. This is General Ike building Jerusalem. My guest today is Rabbi Michael Melchior. Rabbi Melchior is a renowned Jewish leader, thinker, writer, and peacemaker. He served in the Knesset for 10 years, including as a member of Knesset, Minister of Social and Diaspora Affairs, Deputy Minister of Education and Culture, and Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs. He is the founder of several diverse organizations, including, among others, Meitarim, a network for inclusive Jewish education, Yachad Council, which promotes dialogue between religious and secular Jews, the Mosaica Center for Interreligious Cooperation, which works towards a religious peace, and the Israel Civic Action Forum, which promotes higher taxation on income from the extraction of natural resources and the use of that taxation towards welfare, education, and health. Rabbi Melchior was the founding chairman of Birthright and holds the honorary title of Chief Rabbi of Norway. Rabbi Melchior, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure to be with you. You were born in Denmark to a long line of Danish rabbis. That's true. Uh, soon after receiving ordination, you were appointed Chief Rabbi of Norway, a title you still hold in an honorary capacity. What moved you to leave Scandinavia for Israel? Well, I, uh, I'm a staunch Zionist. I studied here in Jerusalem, in the old city of Jerusalem, at Yeshivat Kotel for many years. And I always saw my future, uh, luckily enough, uh, this was also the way my wife saw it, uh, here in Israel and in, in Jerusalem, which is a city I love. And uh, therefore, although we have this deep connection to the world in general and to the Jewish world specifically and even more specifically to uh, Scandinavian Jewry where my family has been for 350 years in, in Denmark and uh, for seven generations rabbis. My great-grandfather was the chief rabbi of Denmark, my grandfather was the chief rabbi of Denmark, my father was the chief rabbi of Denmark, my son is the chief rabbi of Denmark. Uh, at present, uh, but uh, but I the position in Denmark was taken uh, by my father, so uh, I went to the neighbor, uh, which is in Norway, and uh, there was there a, a beautiful commu community which had been totally destroyed by the Nazis, and uh, we. Uh, we rebuilt the community together, uh, and, uh, and today one of my other sons is really, in fact, he's the one who's the real rabbi. I still have the title of chief rabbi, and when there are certain problems in the community, I'm, then uh, they call me in, I go and visit there sometimes, and uh, try to help what I can with all these Scandinavian communities. I'm the head of the Bettin, of the religious court in, in Denmark and Norway. But um, 
it's a hobby. It's it's a, it's a passion. Uh, to this is where you've come from. This is uh, uh, parts of your roots. But it was always clear for me that the place for me to live and to do what the Almighty has given me of uh, possibility to work uh, for uh, for the Jewish people had to be here from Jerusalem. You entered politics in 1995 and uh, over the next 17 years held various government positions, including Minister of Social and Diaspora Affairs, Deputy Minister of Education and Culture, and Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs. Did you enter politics with a specific mission? Well, I was always interested in public life, in, in social action in the world, and here. I was involved in many different issues here, and in issues of the Israeli society, of, uh, of those who need it in the Israeli society, of social justice, of integration of new immigrants into the Israeli society, uh, and, uh, and also of the issue of peace, peace and war in our relationships with our neighbors. And uh, my real decision to go into more active political life, which was not what I had seen myself doing in life, I came uh, seriously with the assassination of our Prime Minister, uh, which was in, on the 4th of November 1995, when I decided that it's very nice to do many nice things around the world and so on, but when your home is burning, and you need to act, first of all, where uh, your home is and work for the future here, both for your future in relationship uh, to our neighbors here and not least also internally inside the uh, Israeli society to try to build new models of how we how we act together. So that's why I left the, uh, the safety zone of, uh, of uh, the rabbinate. I also am a rabbi of a very nice uh, uh, community here in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, But these, it's also a hobby, it's not a paid job. And uh, I I uh, decided to go into a much more, uh, say, danger zone, which is the political life. But uh, I did this because I felt at that stage that it was necessary to bring a different voice into the public Israeli life. And I felt that I could somewhat, in a modest way, contribute to, to that different voice, which wasn't being heard at the time. This, this different voice that you're talking about, uh, in, in some ways it really comes together in uh, 2002 where you uh, initiated an interreligious summit in Egypt that resulted in the Alexandria Declaration, which was a, a statement of joint religious principles between Jews, Muslims, and Christians. Yes, well, that was, that's one part of it. One part, that's the more external part. As I said, right. there are both the internal and the external. The, the external part, part, that's 
really publicly starts it in 2002. And I have to stress that I don't do, I, I worked my whole life on interreligious scene, but I don't do interreligious work just to do interreligious work. I think that's important to have dialogues and to have interreligious work. I have very clear purposes with that. I feel that the interreligious work is the key which hasn't been used to make peace here between, first of all, the our two peoples here, the Jewish people and the Palestinian people, but also I think it's the key to make peace throughout the Middle East and maybe throughout the world. And it's something which not always is seen as such. The first very public and strong statement we made on that issue, again, not as an interreligious meeting or dialogue or studying texts, which I also very much support and it's very good, but that's not what I that's not what I do. But as a as a summit meeting there of very important leaders we met in Alexandria in Egypt. At that time I was Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs and I did this together with one of my Palestinian colleagues who was uh, so unfortunately passed away, Sheikh, Sheikh Talal Sidr, one of the founders of the Hamas who had uh, in the meantime become part of the Palestinian Authority and was a minister in the Palestinian Authority. And but also a religious uh, personality, very, very strong religious personality and sheikh. And we organized this together. And then we brought in different other people to be the official leaders of the summit so that it would, uh, it would echo throughout the Middle East, which it did. Uh, brought in the, the chief rabbi of Israel at the time, Rabbi Doron and the late Sheikh Tantawi, who's the head of the biggest religious institution in the Middle East, Al-Azhar uh, in Egypt, and the Archbishop of Canterbury. If your listeners could uh, could uh, see the picture, you could see a picture here on the wall of my office from that uh, summit meeting. And uh, we had the leading rabbis from Israel and, and leading uh, Palestinian uh, the Palestinian sheikhs, and we had a, a joint uh, statement, uh, a, uh, the Alexandra Declaration, which became a kind of uh, code afterwards, not only here, but around the world, many different places, uh, from Iraq to Nigeria to Paris and many places. This declaration is being used also today. It's carved in stone in a big... Uh, in a big center in Kaduna in Nigeria where there were uh, tens of thousands of people in this area being killed between Christians and Muslims. And they're using this as their model for how to make religious peace between Christians and Muslims in Nigeria. Have the same text as, as I wrote together with my... Uh, Muslim colleague here in Alexandria, and this is really very inspiring. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't we didn't uh, succeed in finalizing the peace <laughs> between Israelis and Palestinians, and I think that the reason was, which we found out with time, was that we didn't have all the right players 
on board. We had very good players on board, but not all the right players. Uh, and uh, we found out that you need to go to the more radical. We had all the nice people there, who still, this was the first time that they sat together. But we had all the, the nice, the, the, uh, the central leaders. But we found out in the recent years, and that's where I'm working very much in the recent years, that we need to go to the radical leaders on the two sides who've been strongly opposed to any kind of peace agreement and avoiding dealing with it, dealing with the issue, so that they should take responsibility for the peace. And this is what we're working on now. And now we've had a new summit, uh, which was this last year in, in uh, Spain, and and we're now going, we're not going so much for summits, but we're going more and more to do work on the ground with younger leaders, with with uh, more influential leaders, but with the radicals, with the people who who have the the authority to influence their uh, communities, and they're the ones who really can can turn this around and uh, and bring peace. I'd like to ask you a bit more about your uh, the the current work that you're doing, but just before we leave the uh, this Alexandria Declaration, I'd like, with your permission, to read from the opening yes. paragraph. In the name of God, who is almighty, merciful, and compassionate, we who have gathered as religious leaders from the Muslim, Christian, and Jewish communities pray for true peace in Jerusalem and the Holy Land, and declare our commitment to ending the violence and bloodshed that denies the right of life and dignity. These are very strong words. It's a very bold statement. And uh, as you said, it was signed by everyone from a former Grand Mufti of Egypt to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Did you see, you say that that was um, incomplete in the sense that it didn't bring the peace that you were hoping for to this region. Did you see a lot of direct effects from that here? Yes, there was a lot of uh, discussion about it, both here in Israel and in the Muslim world, very much. There were those who, who blessed it and then there were those who cursed it, which was good because it meant that it was having an impact. But now, what is having an even more impact is that a lot of those who cursed it are now on board. And this is what's sensational in what is happening now. So, so uh, and now we're saying even stronger things than what we said in Alexandria. What so, are you saying now that's stronger than Alexandria? Well, we, we, we're, we're talking about the rights of the two peoples which have to be fulfilled here in the Holy Land, and everybody's signing on to it. Wow. Including, uh, including uh, central Hamas leaders. And this is a quite uh, this is quite sensational. You gave an interview in uh, 2012 at the Times of Israel, and one of the things you talked about there was about the the fact that even the more radical uh, Islamic elements are saying that they're ready for peace. Um, something that is is often the understanding, at least in uh, outside of Israel, is that the very religious uh, Muslims here see the whole region as Dar al-Islam and the very religious Jews see the whole region as 
uh, Eretz Yisrael, and therefore that neither of them can ever, by doctrine, give up an inch. That's that's not your understanding? Well, it, it, there is a lot of truth to that. Um, that these are uh, strong opinions which exist inside the, both the Jewish and the uh, Muslim uh, religious legislation and thinking. But as always, there are different values which have to be weighed up against each other, as in all religious legislation, mm -hmm. as in all legislation. There is the Book of Laws, and then there is the Book of, of Life. And Life they're laws which sometimes contradict each other. And, uh, and therefore the codex of laws, it's, it's every, every single uh, codex is questioned. You have, uh, you have it in simple issues when you have a conflict between two values which are up against each other. Um, should you have the value, for example, of truth, or should you have the value of, uh, of uh, preservation of peace in the home? That's, right. That's a yeah. classic value which is up against each other. Or you have in, in Judaism, this is a this famous discussion, in Judaism we can have the value of... Uh, of uh, if you have money to do one one obligation, one mitzvah, then which mitzvah do you prefer? You have to do all the mitzvot. Mm -hmm. What do you buy? Do you buy uh, candles to light the Shabbat lights, or do you buy candles to buy uh, uh, Hanukkah lights, or do you buy wine uh, uh, for Kiddush? What do you do if you have... Uh, limited resource. Mm -hmm. so, so here you have different values put up against each other. And every the truth is that every single responsum in both the Muslim and Jewish tradition, that is in a situation where you have different values which are set up against each other. So even though obviously it is so that at least uh, most of the Jewish authorities say that no doubt Judea and Samaria are part of Eretz Israel, and to give up land or to give up uh, to give away land is not something which should be done. The gravity of that is something which can be discussed in Jewish in Jewish law then there are the values which are set up against it. Mm -hmm. For example, the value of peace, or the value of saving lives, if you know that it will be a real peace. And this is already something which, not something I've invented, there are many who have written about this extensively, the greater Jewish authorities, like Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, uh, the late Zichrono uh, Libracha, Rabbi Soloveitchik Zichrono Libracha, and many of the of the those who saw the land as an important value 
but who saw that there were also other values which came in. But of course, the question was if there could be a real peace or not be a real peace. And the truth is that it's exactly the same in Islam, that there are different traditions and different interpretations in Islam, and that today uh, we see that more and more of the Islamic world, especially here the last couple of years, more and more of the Islamic world is accepting an interpretation that if there can be a religious peace, that for them is very important. If there can be a religious peace, which which is which does not take away the substance of, doesn't make their society into a total secularized society, mm-hmm. which was part of the vision of the peacemakers here, uh, on both sides, uh, that. There would be peace, but it would also be a secular, total secular society, right. where religion would have no place, at least no place in the public sphere. And they said, we don't want that kind of peace. We are then forced to choose between our identity and peace, and then we choose our identity, who we are, both on the Jewish side and the Muslim side, that was, re- that was the reaction. And suddenly somebody is presenting to them that they don't need to make that choice. Mm -hmm. That they can have both a strengthening of their identity and peace. So then it's a total different uh, issue and we find more and more of the very central Islamic decision makers who are saying that if there can be a real peace, which also includes uh, justice for the Palestinian people, then a peace treaty, which is not only a, what's called the Hutna or Tadia, which is a kind of armistice, mm-hmm. but a real peace treaty with the state of Israel can be signed. And we are getting more and more fatwas which are written in this atmosphere. It's, it's, uh, it will be slowly published over the next uh, year or two years, but more and more of the most radical Islamic scholars who are accepted by the, again, the radicals, the Muslim Brotherhood and so on in the Islamic world are writing in this, in this direction. Again, this is part of our work together with our Muslim colleagues. And we're seeing the same on the Jewish side that many of the rabbis are now being confronted with taking responsibility. Right. So they will, of course, never say that, that Judean Samaria is not part of Eretz Israel, is not part of the land. But they understand that there is a population here that we have in Judean Samaria and Gaza. We have uh, four and a half million Palestinians living there. What are you going to? What exactly is going to happen with them? So uh, some might call it well. We should have an extensive autonomy, and some might say, well, if we call it an extensive autonomy or we call it a Palestinian state, that's not a halachic issue. That's not. That's a question already of modern political science. Is there a halachic issue in, in relinquishing 
the holy sites, say of Hebron? If if there is a is there the question? Is there a halachic issue that uh, of of relinquishing the holy sites, like say the cave well, of the patriarchs? The question is, what does it mean relinquishing? What is what kind of peace will we have? Mm-hmm. Will we have a peace where we can where everybody is included, and where Jews can live in in Hebron, and where Jews can come to Hebron? We're not relinquishing Hebron. So it's it's a question of of being able to have a peace where the where I hope it doesn't mean that we're going to you know we're not going to close down the army and there are security measures and the Palestinians understand that mm-hmm. and they understand that we're going to take all the necessary security measures at least for any foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if it's a piece where all the different Palestinian parties are included and which is supported by Islam and radical Islam and by the whole Muslim world, it's a total different piece than if it's just signed by some leaders in a closed room and where the peoples are totally objected to that piece. So you're saying the religious piece has to come first before the political piece can... It has to pave the way. It has to legitimize the political piece. This is what this is what we're doing now. It has to come from us, from the peoples. It's not going to come. It's not going to come. It's been a mistake in the. It's a mistake from the beginning, from the Israeli left, also from the Palestinians, that we've thought that our redemption will come from uh, from the outside. Mm-hmm. Somebody will enforce a peace on us. It's not going to happen. I remember I had the conversation with the, the head of J Street, you know, right. J Street in the American organization, the American organization, peace peace organization, with very good intentions. The head of J Street, Jeremy Benami, he explained to me. I think it was in 2009 uh, or 2010, maybe. That he has very good relations with the Obama administration, and he was sure that the Obama administration, with their kind of relations, so on, would enforce a peace uh, on uh, Israel and the Palestinians, and uh, there was no doubt that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And I, we had a long discussion. It's the only time we've met for a couple of hours, mm-hmm. and I said to him, "You don't understand the Middle Eastern politics." Unfortunately, you also don't understand the American politics because that's never going to happen. And the same is that the Palestinians have believed that there's going to be an enforced peace here. It's not. Go- it's not going to happen. Why is that never going to happen? It's not going to happen. It could. I mean, if Obama had wanted, he could do it. He could do it, but he didn't. He didn't want to do it. And you're saying that 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 inse- the incentive to not do it will always outweigh the incentive to do it. That, that that's I I don't believe I don't believe that that's going to happen. I don't think it's good that it should happen. I don't think it's good. I don't th- I, I I don't support it. So uh, but I- but uh, I and and I don't uh, and and it's it's taking away the responsible the responsibility from us right we should be responsible for our destiny not obama not trump not putin 
not anybody else in the world. The other, they can help us if they if they don't mess up things, which they often do, then they can help us. But but uh, they don't. But but we need to take responsibility back for our peace, for our future, for our destiny. When when Kerry in the last attempt to make peace here went out and said in order to pressure the two sides. He said, this is the last chance for a two-state solution. What does that mean exactly, this is the last chance? Does that mean that if he didn't succeed, then we're all doomed, like we're, no, nobody else can then succeed? What does that mean exactly? It's, it's, and, and, and instead of being an incentive to the parties here, it, it, it did the opposite. They just said, ah, that means that we can just, you know... Run out the clock on this one. On this one, and then we don't have to hear any more of this rubbish. <laughs> you know? So, well, I mean, so this is, this is not, it's not going to go anywhere except if the two peoples want it. The two peoples want it. What is holding them back right. is that they both... And I'm one of those who really intensely talks to all groups on both sides. They both are intensely convinced that the other side doesn't want what we call there's no partner. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the depth of the argument of there's no partner, you will then see that the reason they believe, we believe, let's say we as Israelis, we believe there's no partner, is that we're sure that in the final end, Islam can never live with us around here. Mm-hmm. But if the Israelis saw, and I believe that that is absolutely possible, not guaranteed, but it's absolutely possible with all the networking connections and leaders who I'm I and my colleagues are meeting with now every day. Uh, they'll be waiting outside the, the office as soon as we finish this interview. Uh, the, the, when the Israelis see that, that there is not only moderate Palestinians, but also radical Palestinians who are supported by the whole Islamic world outside uh, the Palestinian areas that who wants that, then that will move, that will be a game changer. That, that is thinking out of the box and it's a game changer because we want, this is what we, this is what we want. It's like when Sadat came, it's a long time before you, you were born, but when Sadat came to Jerusalem, and I forget that day, you know, Sadat was a fierce enemy who was, who, who you know, he, he loved Nazism. He, 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 he did a war against us which, which was, was the most horrible war we had since, uh, since 1948, where so many people, so many soldiers were killed uh, and, and, and we were wounded after this war. The moment he decided to come here and to say here, not to give up, on who he was, not to give up on his rights, but to come here and say, 
from Jerusalem, no more war. And we want to make peace. And that's the same. We I don't want the I don't want the Muslims I don't want Muslim Zionists. There are those in the Jewish world who want the Muslims to say that they recognize all the rights of uh, Jewish people and all. I don't want that. What I'm, not, I don't, I'm not looking for that. I want them to make peace. I want them to say no more war, and we're willing to, for our sake, not 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 for the Jewish sake of the Jewish people, for the sake of the Palestinians, for, because it's good for Islam, because it's inside the source of Islam, not because they become like me. I'm not becoming like them. I don't want them to give up their dreams. I don't want to give up their hopes, what will be once in the future. I don't want us to give up our dreams and our hopes. We can all dream and we can all hope. I want to have peace here. I want there to be no more war, no more bloodshed. It has no meaning. We're never going to, they're not going to go away mm-hmm. from here, and we're not going to go away from here. We're going to be here. It's going to be a Jewish state here in all future. It's going to be here. We're going to have very soon a majority of the Jewish people is going to be here in this land. We're not going to go anywhere. And they know that. They know that. So why. Why have so many people suffer and killed and taken away their rights until we get to that point where we can realize that? You've said before that uh, peace could come very quickly here. Yes. What would what would that look like? What's a scenario where peace arrives quickly here? Peace arrives quickly when you, first of all, you create this momentum which will happen when both sides realize that there is a partner, right? that really that's what the other people want. Because just now everything goes away in cynicism, and even when they hear that, oh, they're probably not important, or they don't, uh, something, we, we just dismiss it. Because mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't want to let it in. Um, and just last night, I, very late last night, I heard an interview in, on television with somebody who'd been 13 years in prison here for terrible things. He came out and he was interviewed in Shechem uh, in Nablus last night. And he said, then I believed that we were going to win a big war and, uh, and now I understand this is not so. This is not so. We need to make peace for the two peoples here living here in this land. We need to make peace with the state of Israel. He was one of the heads of the Tanzim, of the of, of those who were out to make terror against us and so on. And he, he said this uh, to... Uh, you know, and I, I saw the reaction in the studio. Oh, no, he'll soon learn that this is mm-hmm. not how you speak. And, uh, it's a, we, we, can't, we can't, we don't want to let it in. Right. Every time somebody says something uh, extreme, we love it. It's on the front page of everything. We, every anti-Semitic statement. And there's enough around to, you know, to... But, People will let it in because that is the reality. The reality is that there are more and more of the serious radical leaders today who 
are willing to leave the safety zone mm-hmm. and and to go out and do what is necessary to make peace. Moving away from the situation in Israel for a moment, uh, there was an ev- event in um, at the Oslo Synagogue in 2015, where it was after a series of attacks in Europe, where a thousand Muslims formed a protective ring of peace around the Oslo Synagogue. You recited the Havdalah prayer that night. How did that feel to pray among a thousand Muslims? And what does that mean for the future of relations among Jews and Muslims in Europe and beyond? We're working a lot with the same concept as I'm talking to you here. This was an initiative of seven young uh, Muslims. It was after it was after the vicious murder of a security guard, uh, Dan Uzan, in the synagogue in Copenhagen. And these young Muslims, they uh, took the initiative to make this peace ring out around the Jewish community of Oslo in Norway as a way of solidarity, saying that if anybody's going to hurt the Jews here, they have to kill us first. And not only did I say the Havdalah outside after we had made the prayer inside the synagogue, but we went out and said the Havdalah publicly, but I also spoke to all the people there, and it was sent live on every single uh, television station and newspaper in, in Norway. I also said to them that what they did, which they didn't know, mm. was the same as what their prophet Muhammad had uh, been done with him. And I quoted them, uh, I quoted them the quote from the Quran, uh, how he had been protected by a ring of uh, of people who put their lives at stake to save him, although they were non-believers. Mm. And uh, he said that th- these people were much more worth than all the believers. And uh, this was very moving for them. You know, here comes the older rabbi, and uh, and tells them the quote from the Quran, which they some some of them when I told them the story, some of them uh, the people that knew the story, then thought of it in that connection instead of quoting the Torah. I thought it was more appropriate to quote the Quran, and uh, the this is what we're doing many places in Europe today, working together. Uh, there have been in the recent weeks after the Trump speech in, uh, about Jerusalem, there were in Sweden attacks on uh, on synagogues and cemeteries and uh, calls for death of the Jews. And because we had functions which we've helped establish between Muslims and Jews in the most difficult places, uh, there was an outlet, instead of just condemning the terrible anti-Semitic actions, some of the young 
people who had been responsible for these demonstrations came to the rabbi in the synagogue together with the imam and they came with flowers and they apologized and said we want to understand better what we're doing we want to work together with you we want to dialogue with you they brought all the leaders of all the Muslim communities together the next day in the synagogue and then the young people came Again, this was reported all over Sweden. Not in the outside press, it wasn't reported. In the New York Times, they only had the bad stuff. But he, but in Sweden, this was very much reported. And then it, it get, if you don't have, if you don't build, if you don't build processes which gives people an outlet for a positive reaction and for building, then there's only then there's only condemning and then people feel in a corner and then they have to defend themselves and so on. But you need to find a positive outlet in order to create an alternative to what's going on in the world today because it can be much worse than what there is today. We know that there are people around who want to make terrorist attacks and and there are those who will feed into this with populism, and there's those who then want all the Muslims to become uh, all terrorists. Who want to say they're all terrorists? Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't. We're in a town here, in a small town here called Jerusalem. We have uh, nine hundred thousand citizens in Jerusalem. About 40% of the population are, are Muslims. If they're all terrorists, we can't live one day in this city. Mm -hmm. So why not build coalitions? And, and then we will isolate the haters on, on both sides and build serious coalitions and give people a, 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 a different way which they can have an outlet and, and build a, a different future for us together here in Jerusalem. It, it doesn't make sense what we're doing just to the whole time to incite and to say, well, they're all like this, this is how their religion is, there's no religion, it's a way of, it's all, uh, it's all just one big uh, theory of, of hatred. Well, then, then we can't we can't be in Jerusalem. We can't be in this land. Half the people in this land are nearly half are are Palestinian Muslims. So what are we doing here? So you, you spoke earlier about uh, taking control of our own destiny, meaning uh, the peoples of this land, and not leaving it to the Americans or leaving it to some foreign agents. What does that look like? for you, for the average Israeli or the average Palestinian here? What's your message to them? This is my message. This is my message, that we take responsibility, that we build the peace from within us. What's something practical that someone on the street could do? They can support the efforts they can do. They can, first of all, people can open themselves to other people. Mm -hmm to other people, to... We don't know each other. We live, as I said, we live in this city together. It's a city which... which is much better than... We're much better than our image. 
Right. Uh, because people think, oh, Jerusalem, it's terrible. It's, uh, you know, we, we're killing each other. We're not. We're much better than our image. But we really don't know each other at all. And we don't know what hurt, how, what, we can invite each other to each other's homes. We can talk to each other. There is a certain, in workplaces, there, then there is a certain uh, coexistence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find, uh, well, if you go to the hospital here, you'll find the Palestinians not only cleaning the floors, but they're the nurses and they're the doctors in the hospitals of, of Jerusalem. And, uh, and they're the patients and, and uh, next to the Jewish patients. And they're, so, so it, and it works. It really works. Um, but just as it could work in, uh, in uh, the hospital, it should work in our in our hearts, in our homes, in our in the way we build each other. And suddenly we, we see that we we have to do with human beings, and we we can start to build on a municipal level, level uh, differently, on a personal level, but also on a national level, on a religious level. We can listen to each other in a totally different way. And suddenly we see that things which we didn't believe were possible become possible. I'll give you an example. Some uh, two years ago, we had uh, uh, the, uh, the most important day in the Jewish calendar is Yom Kippur, and uh, the Yom Kippur fell together with Eid uh, Adha, which is an important uh, Muslim uh, holiday. And we had, uh, I was visited by uh, the head of the police in the old city here, who told me this was the beginning of what we call, what was looking like it could be a new intifada, uh, individuals intifada. And I, I was visited by the chief of uh, police in the, in the old city, who told me that they had very serious warnings that the uh, that there would be terrible riots, maybe terrible bloodshed on on those days, because we celebrate very differently. Jews celebrate Yom Kippur by going inwards, by uh, fasting, by going to the synagogues, by not driving. Uh, even those who usually drive uh, on uh, the Shabbat, on Yom Kippur, they don't drive cars at all. It's the day when there's no pollution in the states of Israel at all. It goes down with 98.5% the pollution that day. And, uh, and the Muslims, they celebrate differently Eid al-Adha. Eid al-Adha is a day when you eat, when you have, uh, uh, they eat the lamb, the lamb uh, which was sacrificed, uh, according to the Muslim tradition, was, was sacrificed instead of uh, Ismail, 
a lamb was sacrificed, so they eat it on grill and they visit each other and they go to graveyards to visit uh, the family's graves and they drive on that day, they go outwards. Mm -hmm. But because we don't know why the others celebrate towards, this is often seen as a provocation and we think that they're driving in order to provocate and disturb our holiday. So this was a, there were threats both from the Jews and the Muslims that this was, was going to be terrible things happening. So he asked me to use uh, some of my connections, which often happens now more and more, that we have to use our connections to extinguish fires here. So I went to, to my Muslim colleagues, uh, to the leaders of the WAQF, uh, of the uh, people responsible here for Al-Aqsa, the, the highest religious council of, of, uh, of the Muslims, uh, the ulama, and uh, the most radical leader maybe, uh, Sheikh uh, Sabri, who was fired as the head of, as, as the Mufti of Jerusalem because he was so radical, he was fired by the Palestinian Authority, and he uh, was the most accepted leader. He said, uh, you know, we, we communicated that we needed a fatwa from him uh, about this. He wrote a fatwa saying, this is the first time of its kind, in maybe since the days of Maimonides, of the Rambam, saying that it's, a, it's an obligation for every Muslim to respect the Jewish celebration of Yom Kippur. And we do not want these, these holy days to be blemished, by any kind of violence and uh, bloodshed and therefore the Muslims should tone down uh, their own celebrations on this day. And he signed this fatwa and then after he had signed it, all the Muslim leaders signed it and it was uh, in the Palestinian press and it was read in all the mosques in uh, Eastern Jerusalem and then after I had that in my hand, I went to the rabbis and I asked them to send out uh, something equivalent, which they did. Uh, and they said we should respect that when the Muslims are celebrating their holiday, it's not to disturb our holiday, it's because they have a holiday and we should respect their holiday and not, not to have any violence. And uh, then we... Then we made a YouTube, we don't have to use social media today, we made a YouTube which was seen here in Jerusalem by 260,000 people in the two, three days before uh, Yom Kippur Nidl in Hebrew and Arabic, and, uh, and it worked. For those three, four days there was not any kind of riots, no bloodshed, not any stone throwing, nothing, nothing, nothing. And the chief of police called me and said, you know, if, if you can do it for these three, four days, why can't you do it always? 
And I believe that, that we can, that this is the power of the authentic leadership, if you deal with it in the right way. And this we've been doing again. We again solved uh, this summer the big issue with the metal detectors, which was an issue where not only Jerusalem would have been bloodshed, but the whole Middle East was about to go up in fire. This is the issue of the metal detectors being installed around the Temple Mount. Right. But finally it came here to our table and we were the ones who put through a compromise through our work with the Waqf and, and the Islamists around the Muslim world and at the same time with the Jerusalem police and uh, was accepted eventually in the last, 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 last moment uh, by both sides uh, so that uh, we could achieve a compromise which avoided the whole thing going up and really going up in fire. We, we started this interview, uh, you said you left Scandinavia for Israel because you were, and you went into politics altogether because you were moved by this need uh, as you said, your house was on fire and you wanted to help put that out. What does that look like for you to have all the fires out? What's your vision of a better Jerusalem? Well, my, th this city is the birthplace of, according to Jewish tradition, is the birthplace of where, where creation started. And... Uh, the truth is that there's a Muslim vision which very much is equivalent. And uh, I, I believe in the future of humanity. I mean, we can go both ways, but I believe in, in the future of humanity. And I think there's no better place that the Torah should come out from than from Jerusalem. And the Torah of Jerusalem is both a Jewish Torah, but it's also a Torah of humanity. Jerusalem is Ir Shechubrala Yachdav, is a town, it's, it's a city which everything comes together. Or the word Chubra is also the same word as, it's connected, it means connected together, but it's the same word as Chavel, which is everybody becomes friend. So you can you can use Jerusalem, and I've seen this, I see it every day. It can be a slippery slope to hell, but it's also what it's supposed to be is the gate to heaven. And, um, and that's the religions all confined in this holy city, their place, their respect, their way to the same God and for us it's the heart of everything and we it's even in the name of Jerusalem the name of Jerusalem according to uh, according to the Midrash our tradition it was that God was God was like in doubt if he should give the name to uh, Connected more to Abraham, who was uh, who was it was like the Jewish connection, uh, who was connected to the to the name Yireh. Uh, this is where God will be seen 
and that would be the name of Jerusalem, or if it would be the universal name of Malchitzedek Melech Shalem, who was uh, who Abraham made a a treaty with, and Melech Shalem is the king of Shalem. Shalem is Shalem is peace, but Shalem. So what he God made a compromise, so he took the Yeru from the name of Abraham, and he took Shalem from Malchitzedek, who was universal, and he combined it together in the name Yeru Shalem or Yerushalayim, and that's the Jewish name. So Jerusalem must be in order to be Jerusalem. It must also include Al-Quds. It must also include the the uh, Muslim uh, presence here, and it must include also the Christian presence here, uh, and it must include the the uh, inspiration that we can work it out here in Jerusalem. We can work out our differences together. We can be inclusive. We can. Uh, uh, we will not be the place from where war will start. I know that those who are sitting waiting that the big uh, war between civilizations will start here and everybody will be killed. No, this is this is Jerusalem for life, not for death. This is uh, what this is what our Jerusalem is. And and we and this is happening. You should see the kind of people who come into this office, and the people who have yesterday been our biggest enemies, who have called for that their children should kill our children, and and today they say no. Their children and our children should build this city together. This is how it should be done. So if that can happen, and these are the most radical, then for all the rest it should be a piece of cake. Amen, it should be a piece of cake. Rabbi Melchior, thank you so much. May your worth be blessed. With thanks to Perrin Walker and Daniel Kenny, this is General Ike, Building Jerusalem.